Outreach Officer of Lancaster Junior Lawyers Against Poverty. And I'm Maggie, the Publicity Officer. Welcome to Talking Justice, the JLab podcast. Our first guest is Andrea Ando, President of Lancaster University Law Society. In 2022, Andrea presented his research paper titled Outdated Standards, Poverty and the Gender Gap, a study on the consequences of inequalities on the rule of law at the Lancaster University Undergraduate Research Conference. He's also co-chair of the youth leadership team of the British Red Cross, which has led to opportunities such as his attendance at Youth Action Week organised by the Council of Europe. So firstly, uh, I'd like to talk to you about your research paper, Outdated Standards, Poverty and the Gender Gap, a study of consequences of inequalities on the rule of law. And my first question is uh, how you came across the opportunity? So yeah, the undergraduate research conference that is held by the university every year is just, I just found out, to be honest, very randomly on, uh, on an email at some point. And I was very interested and I was like, oh yeah, right, that, that seems quite, quite something I would like to do. Uh, so then I talked to some of our lecturers, specifically to one of our lecturers, about uh, my idea uh, that was to look into um, how inequalities affects the rule of law, or whether actually affects rule of law. Uh, and so then this, uh, this lecture was very happy to supervise me. Uh, we worked for all the year and then uh, in March I presented it through an uh, online post that is still actually, if people want to look at it, they can still find it. And, and also had the chance to do a five minutes presentation uh, research presentation talk. So I was just wondering what if you could give a bit of an overview of your research and the key findings. Yeah, so the research is basically divided on look first of all at the expectation of rule of law. So we look at what Dicey said, being I'm not going to go and dig just because I don't want to bore people, but I would say we look at the principles that everyone is equal to law and law should be fair. So we stay with, the, with this very basic principle. And then we, we, I went to look at um, specific data. So I went, first of all, at what I call the invisible. So there is a huge chunk of populations that is literally invisible to law, the legal system. With the cut on legal aid, we have seen drop on support that we're talking about, like minus 89% in family cases support, minus 93% on social welfare. Social welfare, we're talking about debt, housing, benefits, so we're talking about the people that are first of all in needs that are not even being helped to eventually get that need. Uh, and then I've obviously looked at uh, different perspectives. So I've looked at what happens when inequalities prevailed in the legal system in Brazil and how the legal system crumbled down with all the inequalities prevailing. Uh, and so that was the, the very first chunk. So looking at how uh, a trial and it's not fair uh, if everyone has not the same means and instruments. So if someone is going with the very famous barristers, paid 10K, and then you go, uh, instead with that, maybe with no legal aid at all, or we, we have kids that go to trials, like to tribunals, without any support, any legal aid, so we do not understand even what the court is saying. Um, and then the same thing is uh, indeed like, if you, if you don't have that help, so even though you may have the right causes, how you can explain yourself in an adversarial system if the instruments are different, if you are against a barrister that does the job. Uh, and then I also looked at another thing that no one should talk about, that is the digital poverty. So we have, in the United Kingdom, um, 
around 92% of internet users. And you would say, oh, that, that is a quite a good amount. That is true. Respect all the part of the world is for sure a good amount. But that means that we have around 4.70 million residents that do not have internet access. So we're talking about uh, as Midlands that, for example, will not have entire access to digital, uh, to any digital instrument. Mm-hmm. And that brings a huge problems in terms of when we start digitalizing everything, we are deciding that 4.70 million people should not access to law or to the legal services because themselves they cannot access to any digital, uh, digital means, any computers, any phones. So, so of course, the digitalization of formalities, in my case, I looked at a land law. It's very good for the 92% of people, but what about the rest? What about mm. the people that cannot uh, afford uh, to access to, to, to digital uh, services? Uh, and then, yes, yeah, so I ended up explaining that this is slowly eroding uh, the concept of rule of law uh, in the United Kingdom. So, um, obviously, there's a big focus there on access to justice, which is something we focus a lot in JLAP. What do you think the answer is? Do you think maybe further funding of legal aid or...? I think, I think the answer is... Uh, it could be more than one, of course. But mm-hmm. uh, I personally think, from my, from my view, that more access to legal aid, more fundings, that it's not only funding in terms of people getting access to it, but also the barriers that have been paid with the fair pay on legal aid. There has been a huge a huge debate around it. Uh, I think that's what would for sure help. However, I feel like it would, be, would not be the answer, only the answer. I think we have to uh, reshape the idea that we have of uh, a legal system. I think we need to look at a legal system as we look at an healthcare system. So if yeah. we are thinking of a universal healthcare system, I know that also that one is a bit controversial at the moment, but if you look at universal healthcare, we should look at universal legal system. So where mm-hmm. everyone is, can access fairly to everything Mm -hmm. so I know that is a big utopic and we have to look at it because there's a huge market around it but then again the question is uh, is it the market fair to exist when it comes to law Mm. that was a great response thank you Uh, and moving on a bit from your research and to your work with Red Cross I know we've you've worked with them since November of 2020 so it's been two years in a bit now and you've had various roles within it so I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about that progression yeah. and how you've been involved with them yeah so my journey with Red Cross fairly enough starts a lot earlier than that I would say this is the uh, my path in the British Red Cross because I started volunteering for Red Cross when I was 14 uh, so 2016 and for the Italian Red Cross uh, that was the beginning of my journey uh, there has been a lot going there a lot of experience I've done in the Italian Red Cross I have to say a huge thank you uh, to that organisation because supported me in my development and, uh, uh, and then when I came to UK it was natural for me uh, to join again Red Cross to continue that path mm-hmm. I would say I was helped by some connection I had previously uh, but that, that helped me to join uh, the, the Red Cross so they explained to me uh, what's the British Red Cross and I joined as a simple, simple youth engagement volunteer so in the middle of COVID, while everything was online, my role was to try to develop activities together with other young people, for young people. So we did activities on climate emergency, um, we did activities on inequalities, um, and uh, yeah, so that was my, my very first role. Then in June uh, 2022, uh, there was this opportunity to join the youth leadership team, and I joined as a youth leader. And, uh, and that was a, an amazing experience. It's an amazing experience. I'm still a member of the youth leadership team. 
Uh, and after that, uh, in November, I got elected as a, the co-chair. That, in an international level, is uh, what we call youth president. So it, it's the, well, the British Red Cross youth. Um, so that was my journey inside the organisation. Um, so obviously it's quite a multifaceted organisation being world, worldwide, but what would you interpret as kind of the values that the Red Cross stands for? So uh, I think something that is amazing of Red Cross that is what helped me on thinking, yeah, Red Cross is my place. So wherever I go, Red Cross is my place. It's because we share seven principles. Mm -hmm. So we have that seven principles that are key. We have humanity, impartiality, neutrality, independence, voluntary service, unity, universality. So these seven principles all together, and you could do an entire podcast about it, but all mm -hmm. these seven principles are um, key on our existence. So humanity, of course, is the paramount of any of our uh, activity. Um, but each principle, the neutrality, for example, is a fundamental for us to go towards zone. We are in Yemen, we are in Syria, mm -hmm. and that is because we have the neutrality. So we, have, we, we reach the place where we help and we have also the safety and the respect that they're going to let us be there. Uh, so we share this principle and then in the British Red Cross there are other values that is also dynamic, courageous, compassionate and inclusive. Mm -hmm. And then obviously our, our amazing, I would say, motto that we use all the time is the power of kindness. Um, so that's, that's the general what we stand for. So what we stand for is that we are here for everyone, no matter what, no matter your background, no matter your history. And in a battlefield, no matter which side you are, mm. we're mm. always gonna gonna be there to help you if you need help. Yeah. Uh, so so that's that's why Red Cross is a is is everywhere and it's recognizable everywhere. Mm -hmm. Red Cross or Red Crescent or, or any other emblem are currently used. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. And kind of picking back of that idea of being involved and doing things, would like to ask you about what would you pick as your highlights of your time um, with the Red Cross, either the Italian Red Cross or the British Red Cross or yeah. yeah, I think I think I have two highlights. I think I'll bring one that was previous one, 2019, for the International Youth Meeting of the um, uh, International Federation of Red Cross, Red Crescent Societies, that is held, uh, was held in uh, Solferino, so in, uh, in the north of Italy. And that was an amazing experience. It was all youth leaders and youth from all around our national societies. We cover over 190, 191, I think, our national societies at the moment. Um, so that was was a key moment for me. It was like meeting people from different backgrounds, from different years, but all sharing the values, the concept of we are here not for ourselves, we are here to, to help other people. And our seven principles, even though you are from literally like I'm any like Micronesia or you are from Tuvalu, you still will understand me because we share that principle. Uh, and then another highlight, it's more recent, is uh, in October we held the youth conference, the national youth conference in, uh, in Wales. And that was a great moment. That's where I saw the UK uh, young people uh, that could be from, from different backgrounds, from British backgrounds or rather from uh, asylum refugees, asylum seekers and refugees. And that's where I saw the spark of how young people are, are amazing, can do uh, I can do amazingly in any environment. We discuss topic uh, regarding like how we can support refugees more. Uh, our as an organization, we have an amazing like um, system to support refugees in the country from their arrival till the very in in induction into the society in the British society. But then we also have like 
um, or we talked about youth engagement, it's mostly Maharia, so I, do, I work on uh, uh, developing more youth engagement, youth identity and empowerment into the organization. Uh, we talked about even digitalization, how we can digitalize but be, be safe when we're doing that. Um, so yeah, it, it, that, that was a key moment for me. And then I would say maybe a bit more egocentric key moment was my elections culture is for sure a highlight mm -hmm. of my, mm -hmm. my recent, recent history and, mm -hmm. and I'm loving the role. It's a lot tiring, it's, <laughs> it, there is a lot to do, a lot yeah. to work on, uh, but, but it's for sure giving me a lot back. Probably it's giving more back than what I'm giving to the role maybe. Mm. <laughs> Uh, following on from that bit about youth engagement, how fundamental do you say the youth sections are to the organisation and getting the younger generations involved? So youth are the present. So I absolutely hate when people say youth are the future. No, youth are the present. Mm -hmm. And as an organisation, we do recognise that. Mm -hmm. We don't want to say, oh, youth are the future. So for now, you know, we just, yeah, you need to be here, but then you are going to be the future. No, you are the present. So we need you now while you are developing, because for sure we are developing at the moment. And I'm working on a project inside the British Red Cross uh, about youth identity. So looking, I ask the young people, what's your strength? What's your need? How, how much you can give and how much you need yourself? Uh, uh, but then, yeah, so it's, it's the present. For the organization, we are uh, a key instrument. Mm -hmm. uh, indeed, as, a, as a youth leaders, uh, we go uh, in the board of trustees. So we discuss with our trustees. We talk directly to the executive leaders. We are respecting our conversations and um, and that is vital for an organization. It's vital for an organization like Red Cross. It's very complex. It's extremely vital that young people are there. And of course, at the moment, we're working on uh, how we can uh, um, obviously get young people into organization, understanding that at some point they will have to leave because when we always start careers, and we know that studying law at some point when you start your mm -hmm. careers, the time is gonna be very little time left mm -hmm. in your days. So you're gonna have to leave at some point in the organization. But what we want is like leaving them with a, a sense of pride of the organization saying when I'm gonna have time I'll become I'll be coming back yeah so that's our our key element uh, but it's absolutely vital and as an organization in the wider scale uh, we have a youth engagement uh, strategy for all the federation and we have even an assessment so we do assess how uh, engaging this are the, each national society regarding youth and thus, um, our organizations, British Red Cross, we are now developing a youth engagement strategy that's made by youth, through youth, for the youth. So it's all the youth leadership team, you are hand in hand working on co-producing with the, the staff, uh, the youth strategy. Kind of following on from that again, um, we'd like to talk about Youth Action Week and your involvement in that. Um, starting off with how you kind of came across that opportunity. Yeah, so uh, youth engagement came across through Red Cross. So because of um, my experience, this, uh, this long-time experience, they, they invited me to go as delegate in, uh, uh, in, um, in Strasbourg uh, for the Youth Action Week. Uh, just as a, as a tiny background, the Youth Action Week was a flagship event uh, for the Council of Europe, uh, youth section specifically, and regarded the, um, the full-on campaign on democracy or democracy now. And uh, so they did this entire week uh, for the 15 years of uh, the youth sector of the Council of Europe where we were asked to make a call of actions for actions for the government or Council of Europe institutions and it was the first time that instead of the recommendations was a call for action so for the first time we were directly asking you you don't have just to listen to us you have to act on specific matters mm. uh, and yeah so that that was the uh, pretty much was the the youth action week but yeah I came across uh 
through my experience. So it, it was I was invited to go uh, to the Youth Action Week. However, as a general advice for people that are listening, they can find a lot of these information in the Council of Europe Youth uh, website, where there is a lot of trainship, but that could be even just online or events, they could just propose them to go. It's very competitive, don't get me wrong, but I think um, the, the paramount decision making for the Council of Europe is always having a diverse background. Uh, and when I mean diverse, I mean also people that are not leaders in the organizations, mm -hmm. but are just young people that they want to hear because you don't need just a young leader, but you need the person that everyday experience that specific, yeah. uh, that specific uh, uh, things that could be discrimination or rather the digitaliz digitalization itself. Um, yeah, I think uh, we've mentioned it before, uh, or you have mentioned it before, about uh, digitalization to create strong communities. You mentioned it earlier uh, when you talked about your research, but you've also mentioned it through your Red Cross work. And I know that it was one of the topics talked about in Youth Action Week. So um, is there any other insights you can give us? What type of conclusions you reached in the week? Yeah, so it was it was actually a very um, uh, huge debate that we had. So obviously we were, we were, I think, 500 or 400 young people. So we were divided in sort of different commission. I was in the digitalization one. And it was a lot of debates because um, there was a different perspective where people coming from Ukraine were at the moment uh, having like application on their phone are vital to understand when there is a bombing or something mm -hmm. happening. So. Um, so of course there was different perspective, but the debates well, we had like I would say in my commission half people that were for strong digitalization, and there was another half, and I put myself in there that we were like yes we need to digitalize but we need to pay attention on uh, on how far we go. Uh, so what we what we were like looking in it was not just. Uh, uh, just people access to digitalization, but also how safe it is. So surveillance, uh, the use of artificial intelligence, we've looked at different uh, issues around it. Uh, how, for example, like um, even artificial intelligence is not just, uh, you know, the chat GPT that at the moment it's, mm -hmm. it's going everywhere, but mm -hmm. it's most simply is like a camera, CCTV camera that detects your face that can yeah. be honestly digitalized yeah. in a digital like fingerprint. Um, so we were looking at how risk is that, yeah. or we were looking at this data storage, so how the country are breaching uh, the safety, and again, every country in Europe are breaching that, because even though we have mm -hmm. a framework in, Europe, in the European Union, but also in the United Kingdom, the GDPR framework, it's not enough, because that covers the use of, um, of data, of private data, but not necessarily the storage, yeah, it says that should be in Europe, however, the storage is not a physical room, so it could be moved, it could yeah. be like translating in other countries. So we were looking at that. So um, what we asked, sorry. Do you feel like there's kind of a risk of uh, trying to push digitalization when there's not digital literacy? For example, a lot of people won't know. It's like going on the website and you see cookies and you just say, yeah, accept all. Exactly. And people don't know what that means. Yeah, there is an amazing European Commission project online. Uh, that's How Beautiful Am I? And is and everyone can do it, actually. I suggest uh, everyone who wants to, to do that. That uh, Basically, you go on your computer, you put this website, it, an artificial intelligence look at your face, and it can tell you everything. Mm -hmm. It tells you your, how, how old are you, who you are, uh, how, what's your even body mass index, detected from your face, how much you move your eyes during the, this, this moment that you're doing this project. And then it also tells you that 92%, 93% of people just accept cookies, because that's one mm -hmm. of the things yeah. without even reading. 
Uh, and I'll be really honest, we have all done it. I think yeah, I've done it myself. Sometimes when yeah. you have boards, you just okay, you know what? I just need to access to this website. I don't want the banner yeah. there. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, digital literacy is a huge problem. We discussed about it. We discussed how maybe we should start looking at simplifying information. However, on that note, we couldn't really find an agreement. It was a bit of a deadlock because um, obviously there was the legal side telling, yeah, yeah well, but you can't, yeah. you can't necessarily make everything easy. But what we said is that for sure, first of all, we need, if we want digitalization to happen, we require the state uh, to ensure accessibility to an internet technology and support of developing digital skills for all young people in mm-hmm. our case. And so even reaching all the, infra- the right infrastructure to do that. Uh, then we said like we want like formal and informal uh, education on uh, digital citizen- citizenship and artificial intelligence uh, literacy inside also curriculum in schools. Uh, and then we just another one, just and I finished that. We also said that uh, we would love um, very much like legal standard and instruments that puts and regulates AE, the design of AE, uh, the, and that are based on the human rights, mm-hmm. that are based on what the Council of Europe stands for or what we are standing for, mm-hmm. that is the human rights and the democracy. So equal access and yeah. fairness. So um, it's kind of stemming from that. Do you think? Um, that legislating around online privacy in regards to the current EU framework, do you think there needs to be more regulation? And would you suggest maybe regulation around compulsory education of citizens? I, I think so. Uh, so I, I think, okay, we have obviously, we have to look at uh, everything with, with a perspective that sometimes things are very hard to, to reach. And the problem in here is that while technology goes at 200 miles per hour, mm-hmm. we have like the European Union or the UK or any country in the first world, not even second world, that are going like 20 miles per hour. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what we need to do first of all is understand that we cannot stay too behind. And, and the framework that we have at the moment, they are old even in terms of technologies. They yeah. look at technologies that are now outdated as yeah. stale. So first of all, we need to adapt the current framework to a more consistent uh, to, more, to be more consistent with the technology that we have at the moment. Then we also, I think it's important from, from my experience that I had in discussing with other uh, young people, young delegates, uh, I think what is important is um, uh, to, to look at education indeed, uh, putting in curricula, mm-hmm. like requiring digital skills to not be just a recommended mm-hmm. uh, education, not to be a fundamental education in schools. We cannot anymore separate digitalization from our education. It's yeah, there. 100%. There is no way we're going to stop numeracy. We, there yeah. is no way we're going to stop digitalization. It's going to happen. It's going to continue to happen. What we can stop is us being actually aware of it. Mm-hmm. And we, should, we shouldn't be like, like, like we are now because yeah. we are very ignorant. I am ignorant of digitalization. Yeah. I know a bit of it, but we're missing so much. I'm sure I'm missing so much. So we all need to work on that. That's why we require them in, uh, in point um, uh, 33 and 32 uh, of the call for actions that they need to work on formal and informal education. And I think in that stage of fundamental organization like JLAP, mm-hmm. like British Red Cross, mm-hmm. we have um, an, organi- an entire like uh, group that supports the volunteers on getting access to, to the digital side of the organization. So I think the non-formal education can come from many backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. However, you also need the fundings because if you yeah. want an organization to, to develop that, you, you need the funding. So yeah. it's... it's it's, I don't think it's that hard. I think it's not an easy matter, but I think we, we have the purposes. We know what we need to work on. I'm not sure why we're not, but mm-hmm. I think we need, we, there is for sure something that we can implement. 
Um, and I think uh, just to wrap up the, the idea of the Youth Action Week, um, I wanted to ask you your key takeaways from the experience, not only from the calls for action that you uh, ended up yeah. devising with everyone else, but also from a social point of view. So yeah. how it was working with other youth leaders across the yeah. other youth. Yeah, no, so that's an amazing question. I actually loved it. I, I love being in this youth event, um, even if it's like Council of Europe or any Red Cross one, but this one at the Council of Europe was amazing. Mm -hmm. First of all, the social sides. We had different countries. We ended up discussing about our cultures. We had one day uh, when um, our day that we were like left to visit the city so we went to around Strasbourg we had dinners we had also parties organized mm -hmm. um, we had a showcase for each culture that could bring like different things from their own countries so it was it was amazing this social part was just great it's like meeting new people and making this net all around Europe uh, but then also in terms of working and actually working working with young people is great like, mm -hmm. I, I think in our daily life, and I put myself in there, sometimes you're like, oh my God, I can't relate to young people. It's like, it's so hard. Because I do, personally, I do. Sometimes I find it hard to relate to young people. But then when I work with people, when you're working, you actually, it's, it's the best. Because mm -hmm. we understand each other. We don't need that formality of sitting in around a table. No, you can be just even like a chill, like, workshop. Yeah. Yeah. We, 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 used, we did, like, workshop where we were sitting down on, on the floor or we were standing or, like, outside uh, because it was very sunny. It was very, very hot in France. Uh, we went out and uh, we were just, like, in the garden working on, uh, on some stuff. So th that's the good thing. It's like mm -hmm. you don't need that, you know, formality that sometimes yeah. you... You, you need that's important that, that you have in other meetings so I think that was great and then um, I think we can make amazing debates uh, there is a lot on uh, you know on how how we are polarizing the society so now it's now becoming hard yeah. and not mm -hmm. to have a debate yeah. because people that think that that's black they're gonna always think that's black people that think it's white they're gonna always think it's white there is yeah. no gray when mm -hmm. I love gray I absolutely love gray mm -hmm. it's an amazing color we should be gray it, it's not a bad thing I think it's being in, in the middle it's good because yeah, it's not necessarily sure. a bad thing not on everything but on some stuff we can be in the middle uh, and so sometimes there is these things also with young people no, you know I can't have a discussion because it's, it's always like uh, uh, I, can't, I can't reach a middle point instead at the Council of Europe what I realized it was the total opposite we were already keen to listen to understand where where in the discussion where we needed to look at other cultures, because of course when mm -hmm. I'm talking from a UK or Italy perspective, I'm talking from a very privileged position. Yeah. But then mm -hmm. you have to listen to people that come from Moldavia, to people that come from Ukraine, indeed, the people that come even from um, other other countries in the East Europe, or even from Italy itself, that's right? yeah. very different yeah. perspective than UK. So it was the idea of we are coming from different environments. We need to just understand that what for you seems a problem, and maybe for you it's not a problem. That needs to go in a yeah. in a yeah. middle point where that's it helps both sides. So it was it was a great experience. Mm -hmm. I think that kind of open mindedness and ability to debate is our generation does it well because we're kind of in the age of information. Like it's not like our parents where they had strict news sources that were often biased. We've got social media, so it's kind of like yeah. a benefit to the digitalization. Yeah, yeah. I think I think social media. I agree with you. They're not the worst things ever in the world. I think no, there is a demonization. Critical exactly. kind of information. It's the idea of digital literacy again. Yeah, exactly. knowing because if you don't know how to use it, yeah, exactly. Might... The problem is is there mm -hmm. is when you don't know what you're reading 
Yeah. And what it's used for, then that is where the problem arises because the social media also creating, like Google is creating that polarization. That was a discussion that we had many times is that if you go on Google and you think like, um, I don't want to go any political matter specifically, mm-hmm. but if you think, um, I don't know, that um, the White House is black, in reality, it's all a scam and you always look for that. Mm. Google is always going to show you the Why articles that confirm your ideas. Like an echo yes. chamber. Exactly. So because that happens, then people tend to be more polarized. But at the same time, I believe uh, uh, that we can o- overcome that. Mm. Yeah. I'm not expecting Google to do it. Because well, yeah. you shouldn't even expect a big company to fix this issue because it should be... And they the make stage. a lot of money yeah. out of it. <laughs> exactly. It should be, should be us. But we can fix that. And, and I, I think... Sometimes it's less grim than what we believe in every everyday life. Sometimes mm-hmm. we see, we demonize more myself. I demonize more social media, what I see on the internet. But then in real life, when you sat down uh, and you can talk properly and you can show your idea and your points, then things go in the right way. Yeah. I think Maggie's right in that it's about digital literacy and teaching people to kind of critically engage with what they're reading th- and then it can be a really valuable tool. Yeah. I think we saw that a lot with um, COVID and even with the war in Ukraine, so many things get yeah. shared around and even mm-hmm. like pictures of some soldiers yeah. get shared around with wrong news. I mean, yeah, for me, the side. So, five years ago. Yeah, exactly. Thing. But uh, do you feel like you see a change? For, for example, I mean, Youth can go from 12 to, we're now 20, 21. I mean, yeah. it can go for a long time. Do yeah. you feel like the, the younger generation is a bit more of a, a hope in the sense that they are grown into I, it? I think, I don't, see, I think that we have more the understanding of these issues than previous generation. So I think the young generation is more aware of that. Mm-hmm. Then that doesn't mean that we don't do that because I do believe that we're strongly part of our generation as the same issues as the older generation. Mm-hmm. There's some mm-hmm. difference. There is still so many people that you know just focused on, yeah. on one idea and then go for that route. However, we have the, the understanding, so that will help us if we have the space into the organization, into the yeah. states or wherever we are, to develop the programs or to asking for things specifically for digitalization. Like yeah. these things 20 years ago would have never happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. You wouldn't have like... We wouldn't people, be sitting down yeah, exactly. recording a podcast. Exactly, we're recording yeah. a podcast. You wouldn't have any people saying to you, oh yeah, we should dig- work on digitalization. Yeah, you would do, you know, the classic IT work that you in school, like Excel, mm-hmm. Word, that's it. <laughs> yeah. But it's that now we are understanding, wait, uh, there is issues, we need to tackle them. Of course, I was talking to young people that are, involved as leadership positions yeah, so that there is they a different understanding interest, yeah. so it, it, it's not a, a, I would say a general mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. A general public but in different occasions even with the general public I did realize that uh, young people when they are in person when they have the community to talk that it's not an online an online community they work they work well and this not necessarily a barrier mm-hmm. and, and I think what we have to go back sometimes I think we have to go back to community we need to uh, young people don't want to be in, in, anymore alone. I think yeah. COVID taught us that internet is amazing, but when yeah. you're actually all alone, uh, when you're actually stuck in a room, maybe internet is not the best. Maybe yeah, that's yeah. when you feel yeah. alone. Yeah. So, so what we are seeing uh, in different occasions, both uh, in the different experiences I've done, that it's now young people want community, wants to go back to you know mm. the event in person all together. And, and that's what we want. That's what we need to work on. I think that is also a key. Weirdly enough, going back to in person is the key to enhance ourselves digitally. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, and 
to wrap it up, but also going uh, to the idea of the in-person events, um, it's kind of asking, because obviously, uh, besides your research paper and Red Cross, you're also involved in the Law Society in the Lancaster University, uh, and you have been for most of the years you have been at Lancaster University. Um, and so um, I would like to ask you what tips you'd give to a first year student or even a second year student uh, that, are, that are looking to get involved with these type of opportunities. Yeah, I think, uh, I think one of the tips I would say is uh, start from, from uni, start, start from the society, start from your interest in charity, start from what you're doing with JLAP, uh, start with us even, with the Law Society, uh, with, with a small role because that teaches you the skills, that yeah. give you the net of connecting with different people, mm-hmm. understanding our charity work, understanding what's behind it. So giving a bit of social enterprise skills. And then another thing I would say is, uh, as a law student, and I think as any students, but obviously talk as a law student, we have always the, always the panic, and I'm sure you can agree of, the future, I have to apply it. Oh, yeah, and then the degree is yeah. demanding. It's an extremely demanding degree. However, it's important to cut a bit of time where you do something that it's not the degree. Yeah. So. If you're interested in, uh, I don't know, helping cleaning the canal in Lancaster, do it. It's an amazing experience. Mm-hmm. That's that person I started when I was in Italy in Red Cross. I started from scratch, from yeah. the zero. I was doing activity in the square of my village, yeah. where we were like what five thousand people in the village. We were doing activity there. Yeah. So just start with that. I think, I think with the small bits, then you can slowly, slowly, slowly create your your path into into the charity world, but anyway, into any opportunities. Mm-hmm. With a conference, be bold. It takes time. It takes um, it, it takes research. So you have to do research. So yeah. of course, yeah, of course. It's, it's nothing easy. But but if you have the idea, go to a lecture, talk to them. We have we have the chance that in Lancaster University in the law school that we have a great lecture that where you can talk to. I'm honestly have most good experience, mostly good experience. So mm-hmm. just talk to a lecturer. I'm sure they will direct you and help you. Uh, and then finally, I would say, if you don't want to do any of it, it's fine. If you yeah. want to leave uni, as just studying and, you know, maybe having a good social life, an active social life, yeah, and you maybe don't want to do anything for now, perfectly fine. We do not have everyone to do it. I, 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 don't, I don't expect everyone, every student to, to do that. Because also, there is a privilege of being able to do that. Yeah, of course. Not everyone has the privilege of saying, okay, uh, I take days off from work to do volunteering. Mm. Uh, not everyone had the privilege to stay because I maybe an illness or maybe there is a disease going on that say, you know what, I, uh, I can't because simply yeah. get tired. If you have yeah. a neuropathy, it's terrible. So, so that's it. So that's why I'm like, obviously, if you want to do it, grasp any opportunity you can. Start from the very little. Do not expect to, if you want to do work on charity, do it not because it's for your work experience. I'm sorry to say it. Like, don't oh, do it. If you want to do it for it, it's it's fine. But from my point of view, it's like do it with the idea that you you're something that you care, something that you're yeah, passionate. Of something even if it's then for work experience, you need that work experience. Okay, but if what is that passion about? Are you passionate about environment? Okay, maybe talk with the canal trust. Mm-hmm. Are you passionate about human rights? There is plenty of organizations. Mm-hmm. I advertise Red Cross, but plenty mm-hmm. of organization where you can go yeah. to, to help in that. So find the things that interest you and then look for the organization. Don't yeah. look for the position. And then for people that can't do it, it's fine, it's, uh, it's alright. That means that the moment in your life, it's, it's where you maybe need help. Myself, I, I am a worker student, so I would love to do an yeah. awful more, mm-hmm. so I'm sacrificing a bit of social life. 
to do yes, this. Is course. it the right thing to do? I'm not sure. I'm enjoying it for sure, but um, I, I, I'm a bit sacrificing it because I, I would have to fit it with, with my different, um, uh, with, with the studies and different mm -hmm. uh, events that I have to, to go. But that's the thing. So obviously, if, if you can, perfect. If you want, amazingly. If you don't want, if you can't, that is still valuable enough. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was a very good point, yeah. I think. Well, thank you very much for coming and yeah. being our thank first Thank you for inviting guest. me. <laughs> <laughs> it was very, very flattering, I would say. <laughs> thank you so much for coming. Yeah.